This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall podcast. And welcome to episode 420 of the Yellow Airpods. And I'm a little bit high myself after today's announcement of Sebastian Allaire. I'm Stefan Butzko and today we will of course talk about Sebastian Allaire officially joining Borussia Dortmund. And yeah, what else are we going to talk about? I'm not entirely sure yet, but for all those things and more, I guess, to discuss with me are here. Lars Pollmann. Hello Lars, it is great to have you on again. How are you doing? Hello, Stefan. Uh, in good old Yellow Wallpot tradition, I'm fine, but extremely tired. <laughs> okay. And also here, I don't know if he's extremely tired, but I hope he is fine. Matthias Zug. Hello, Matthias. Hey, Stefan. You know, despite living in Colorado, unlike you, I am not high. Um, <laughs> but uh, it is, it's good to be back. How are you? Yeah, it is. Yeah, I'm I'm good too. Thank you. Thank you for asking. Finally someone asks. Well, if as as you guys know, I have uh, launched a new format uh on uh, the Yellow Wall YouTube channel. It's called the B4B update and I basically take a quick roundup of uh, the day's news, uh you know, on the days I have time because obviously it's just a hobby, not a job. But uh, yeah, for everyone who has tuned in so far, uh, I want to thank also for all the very positive feedback because uh, it's been exclusively positive unless I asked my German friends who were like, why are you looking so tired? What's with the overlay? Why is the white border so thick, etc., etc.? But apart from that, <laughs> the criticism was mostly positive, also from you, Matthias. So uh, thank you for that. Um, but uh, before we continue, we have a sponsor for this episode. Wir sind komplett schuldenfrei. Wir zahlen keinen einzigen Euro an Zinsen. And this episode is sponsored by Edmark Finke, who is from Ostfriesland. And Mark has sponsored an episode before. So thank you very much for your support. If you also want to sponsor an episode, go to patreon.com slash the yellow wall. And uh, yeah, thank you for all that support. It really helps, especially uh, as I just launched a new format. Uh, you know, these little, these little dollars are helping <laughs> in that regard. So yeah. Uh, what is new today? Let's see. Ah, yeah, Borussia Dortmund did sign Sebastian Allaire. Finally, he signed a four-year deal until June 30th, 2026. And Sebastian Kiel is very pleased to have been able to sign Sebastian Allaire, a seasoned center forward who has recently caused a sensation in the Champions League, but who also knows the Bundesliga in particular and has already demonstrated his class and high-quality finishing there. End quote. And then he continues, the overall package is very promising. Sebastian possesses a strong physical presence and he is physically very resilient. I guess hinting at uh, not being very affected by injuries. With his experience, he can also offer and support and stability to our young attacking players during the talks with us. He made it clear that he has big ambitions with Borussia Dortmund. And in the interview with the club, he already said that he basically wants to chase Bayern down and finish first. So obviously, uh, that's all very good news that it's finally official and Ajax have also reported or made public rather 
that the base fee for this transfer is 31 million and it can go up as high as 34.5. So Matthias, I've already asked you last time around about Sebastian Alea. So I'm not going to do that. So Lars, you have the microphone now. Uh, what are you making out of this transfer? And I'm asking you this, keeping in mind that you, I think, preferred Zaza Kalajic. Yep, uh, I'm on record on Twitter at least, uh, in saying that I would have preferred Kalajic, uh, not only, but also because of, uh, you know, the uh, financial package, which I think is quite a bit of an outlay for a 28-year-old player signing a four-year deal, a fee north of 30 million euros. That's, you. Let, let's say you have to be very sure that you are not making any mistakes with that signing. And I guess there's uh, enough evidence to suggest that they aren't making a mistake because obviously Alea knows the Bundesliga quite well from his time at Frankfurt. Uh, remembering back to that time in the so-called Büffelherde uh, with uh, Luka Jovic, Anterevic, I think he was kind of almost a forgotten man because he's not necessarily a goal machine, but also probably the guy that made them tick most and, and uh, a, a striker that makes his uh, attacking partners better which is also something he talked about with the club today, um, or in the video release today anyway, uh, that he, on top of scoring himself, also likes to uh, give out assists as presents for his partners, as he put it, I think. <laughs> yes, he did. Remembering back to, let's say, 2019, before he moved to uh, West Ham for a fee above 50 million quid, which was obviously prohibitive for Dortmund, I think if Dortmund had signed uh, or, or you know had the ability to sign Alea back then, uh, we would have been quite happy with that. So uh, there's no reason to not be happy now in in some ways. Even if I would have preferred Kalajic just because I think he's a massively underrated player. Um, I think both in in a sense aren't uh, you know like for like replacements for Holland, uh, despite obviously playing in that central striker number nine position. Um, I think that's also part of what I'm a bit, uh, you know, weary of or wary of. Um, if, if people expect uh, Alea, especially after his Champions League season uh, last year, to come in and bang the goals in just like uh, Holland did, then I think they are going to be a bit disappointed because he's never been a goal machine. Uh, His best scoring season uh, in the Bundesliga, I think, was 16 goals for Frankfurt, which is obviously pretty good, but uh, not necessarily, especially in this day and age, something necessarily to write home about. Uh, and outside of his uh, time at Ajax, which I guess is strikers uh, heaven in, in some ways, especially under Erik Ten Hag, who's now moved to Manchester United, um, he's never been you know, the, the kind of guy who scores... You know, 20, 25 goals consistently over his career. And now, obviously, him being 28 years old, it's not like there's a lot of projection. You pretty much know what you get. And I think that is a very good player, someone who uh, the likes of Daniel Malen or Karim Adeyemi or maybe even Marco Reus still uh, will be able to profit from playing around them or playing around him rather, uh, you know, him laying it off being, you know, a focal point of the attack, target man, if you like. Uh, so I think as long as people's expectations are being kept in check a bit, I think uh, this is a very strong signing. But I just think, uh, you know, signing a 28-year-old for 
30 million plus is kind of uh, you know a departure from Dortmund's normal business model obviously there are some exceptions uh, to, to that rule if you will but uh, it's just something to, to keep in mind I mean uh, if you look at all the other signings they made this summer um, all younger uh, outside of Adeyemi all a bit uh, less expensive so you know just something to keep in mind but obviously uh, if Alea brings to the table what he's shown already at Frankfurt, even in spells at West Ham, and definitely what he showed at Ajax. I think there's a lot of uh, stuff to look forward to. Yeah, definitely. Um, why did you prefer Kalajic, though? I I think it, it probably was also about uh, his, his um, passing, I guess, and uh, getting his teammates involved, right? Yeah, I mean, Kalajic... I, the, the, it's kind of a misperception by people who maybe don't watch Bundesliga enough, but they see a, a two-meter-tall uh, striker whose uh, goals usually come through the air from uh, crosses from uh, Borna Sosa, for example, from the left side of Stuttgart. And they kind of, uh, you know, have that mental image of him being, you know, a, a six-yard box striker who only uses his physical abilities or, you know, his physical advantages, if you will. Uh, but, you know, that really doesn't uh, paint the correct picture of Kalajic, who's just a very good footballer who happens to be quite tall. I mean, uh, Kalajic in, in his youth and even in, for uh, Stuttgart at times and in the Austrian uh, national teams uh, wasn't always, you know, the designated target man, number nine, whatever you want to say. Uh, because of his, uh, you know, footballing ability, playmaking ability, uh, could easily play as a number 10, which obviously looks a bit funny because, uh, you know, a two meters tall guy, lanky and all that doesn't usually play or, you know, doesn't necessarily fit the bill as a number 10 for most people. But, uh, you know, he's just a very, very good player. I dislike... Um, the perception, the public perception of him, you know, just being that that uh, aerial target or whatever. And I think uh, Kalajic would have proven people wrong at Dortmund and, and I would have liked to see that story. But obviously, uh, it's not like uh, signing Sebastian Alea is, uh, you know, because of my uh, preference for Kalajic a bad move or anything. I mean, I would have also been perfectly content with signing Kalajic. I think really the only question mark around Kalajic is his injury record. And I think this is something that Dortmund did consider because Kiel did in the press statement really highlight the, uh, I guess, physical, whatever it was, robustness, stability um, of, of Alea. And um, yeah, I mean... It's going to be interesting because a lot of the Dortmund signings uh, in their first interviews are certainly talking about uh, winning the Bundesliga. I mean, Niklas Zule said it pretty clearly without saying the actual words. Uh, Alea said um, that uh, Dortmund is the biggest rival of Bayern Munich. The goal is to fight with them and be first, asking them why not. So, Matthias, why not? <laughs> oh, jeez. Um... <laughs> No, not really, but uh, yeah, let's maybe talk about the quotes before okay. uh, before I ask you, because he, he said, in general, I'm happy, I'm proud to be a Borussia Dortmund player, it was a great opportunity for me, I had a few good connections with the club officials and also a few players, now I'm here and I want to be successful, Dortmund is the biggest rival of Bayern Munich, the goal is to fight with them, 
and be the first. Why not? And then he continues, I'm a strong striker. I try to play simple. My job is to be in the box at the right moment to score goals. I love scoring goals. It's my main ability, but setting up my teammates is also something nice. It's like giving a gift to your partner. It is a nice feeling. Then about the Westfalen, he says, it's an epic stadium and most of the time the games are epic too. The pitch is in pristine condition. The atmosphere is fantastic. Even when I didn't win here with Frankfurt, even though I did with Ajax playing in the stadium, was always a great memory. The yellow wall is where I want to celebrate my goals. Matthias, what are you making of these uh, quotes from his initial interview with the club? I mean, it's all kind of bog standard stuff that you would expect. Um, But he did point out the pristine pitch, which not all footballers do, which is something that I appreciate. Okay, the grass is nice. Cool. Yes. Um, (laughs) I mean, honestly... I've gotten to the point where I am so jaded about every single interview an athlete or celebrity or anything like that gives because I just feel like it's so schooled anymore that I'm just like, meh. Uh, Maybe it's just my cynical nature overall. But when it comes to, you know, the question of why not finish first? Yeah, I mean, why not? May as well. Um, (laughs) You know, if nobody else is going to do it. No, I... It's it's fine. It's it's a first interview. Let's. I'm curious about players to see how they react when things are not scripted or when they're not perfect. When their backs are against the wall, um, that's really what I care about. And obviously, we'll only know about that in a few months. So obviously, I personally would prefer instead of having the nice, uh, you know interview that's sort of scripted and set by the club and where players can sort of just say whatever they want without having the fear of uh, you know offending anyone or they can offend someone by uh, you know <laughs> uh, greeting their old uh, club in the Borussia Dortmund magazine but uh, Matthias you know if there were a player conference or news conference with a new player I would have loved to ask why he only signed a four year deal whether the club did not want to give him more Uh, years or whether he didn't feel like a five-year deal or commitment was was the right thing to do. Um, So since he isn't here, Matthias, I'm asking you, um, do you think it would have been even better had it been a five-year deal instead of a four-year deal? Or are you content with the the deal he signed considering his age? I'm going to give the latter as my reasoning why I'm okay with a four-year deal given his age. Um, I mean, he'll be in his 30s by the time the contract would come to an end. Add another year, I get it, resale value, you can, you know, because honestly, the way most of these contracts work, uh, excluding people like Nico Schultz, um, is that they're one, they're effectively one year less than what's on paper. Because most clubs don't want to just let someone leave on a free So the decision on keep or sell happens a year before the nominal contract end because then you can get some money. Um, If that's the case here, as it would be, you look at four years, so it's three years, you're still in your 30s, then I'm, I'm okay with it, especially if you're looking at, in the meantime, bringing in or cultivating a younger striker after that, also maybe to learn under him. I think it makes sense. Five years pushes it further into his 30s and then reselling him for 
and trying to recuperate any of that transfer fee becomes harder. Uh, so I'm perfectly fine with a four-year deal. Lars, do you have a difference of opinion there? No, um, but I kind of feel like it's become a bit of a club policy this season because unless I'm entirely mistaken, Sally Özcan and Nico Schlotterbeck also signed four-year deals. Um, not entirely sure about the other ones. But I seem to remember Özcan and Schlotterbeck holding up uh, jerseys with uh, 2026 on them. So No, it was uh, Zulu who signed till 2026. Schlotterbeck is there till 2027. But Özcan is 26, I'm pretty yes. sure. Yeah, okay, so you can see uh, there's a bit of a, uh, you know... A Offset, maybe, <laughs> between yeah, the... Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I kind of feels like they were burnt a bit by, uh, you know, big money signings, such as Nico Schulz, um, who didn't work out, and, you know, you have them on your payroll for that much longer. I mean, uh, obviously... At this time of the year, most people are incredibly excited about everything that club does because uh, you know there's no, there's nothing to uh, you know get that back down to earth. But yeah, it's not I the think, dooming disillusion of hindsight yet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, chances are it's it, it's a bit like the NFL draft, uh, unless you're a fan of the New England Patriots and they select a guard in the first round. Ah. <laughs> most teams are, or most fan bases are quite happy with, uh, you know, the draft hall, at least after a couple of days. But, I mean, obviously, uh, even more so in the NFL than in, in soccer, if you will. Um, you know that not all of these uh, draft picks or signings in football will work out. I mean... Uh, the last time Dortmund fans on a whole were this enthusiastic about a, a transfer window was probably 2019 when they signed uh, Schulz, Brandt, Azar and Hummels and I mean that doesn't look too good three years uh, later and I guess there's a quite uh, convincing argument to be made that Dortmund's best 11 doesn't include a single one of those guys next season and that's just as I said three years down the road so Obviously, one of these guys they signed now is probably not going to work out unless, you know, it's a huge outlier in, in, in football statistics or whatever. So in, in that sense, it makes uh, perfect sense not to have, you know, the entirety of your signings on five-year deals. Um, given the prospect of presumably at least one of these guys not working out and you having to pay for them... Uh, that much longer so yeah also um, on the flip side if all work out then you are uh, in danger to lose them all in the same contract year basically which yeah, also that's, can that's, cause a headache that's that's uh, also a point um i think if you look for example at uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach at this point i think they have like a dozen players with contracts running out in 23 and that includes guys like Jan Sommer, Jonas Hofmann, Alassane Player, Markus Thuram and a few others. Uh, so, you know, kind of a spine of the team almost. Uh, Lars Stindl as well, Christoph Kramer, so really important players. And for, in, in one aspect, they uh, are kind of uh, in a deadlock right now because they have to sell some of these guys, uh, Breel and Bolo, another one. Um, but as long as you don't know whom you sell, you also don't know whom to uh, extend and whatever. So it kind of cripples them in, in on the transfer market this year, even though the contracts are running out in, in almost 12 months. So 
as you said, it, it might be better to stagger those uh, a bit. Uh, and I think, in, especially in, in case of Alea, it's also just the age factor. I think if he were 25, they might have pushed for a five-year deal just out of convenience, because obviously they are uh, quite convinced uh, paying up to 34.5 million euros for a player. They, they don't expect him to be the one uh, not to work out. So uh, they would have probably gone for a five-year deal, but given his age, um, you know, that probably just made more sense. So, Matthias, uh, I don't know if you've watched the BVB update, but in one of those episodes, uh, I presented that, uh, you know, the breaking news that uh, the Africa Cup of Nations was moved to January slash February of 2024. So that means... Theoretically, and I guess in practice too, the next season's Rückrunde, at least the beginning of it, would be without Sebastian Allaire. So um, my question then follows is, do you think that Dortmund now in the next transfer window, because I can not really imagine them doing it now, uh, should, you know, try to sign yet another striker? Maybe someone a little younger, a bit more, I don't know, just a bit more of a talent? Or do you think that grooming Mokoku and extending his contract <laughs> is going to be enough to to make up for that. Well, I mean, we had talked about the African Cup of Nations uh, when last we met, and mm -hmm. I, I voiced my concern there uh, just because every, th every time, well, not, not so much anymore, but in the past, uh, you look at a team like Liverpool, I mean... Two of their two of their three best players would be gone for like a month in in the hardest time of the season. And for Dortmund, that means obviously then this season uh, it's not going to be an issue beyond just this abomination called the Qatar World Cup that everyone has to deal with. So it's not Dortmund specific. Um, in the next season, I would say you've got time. So it's a matter, I don't think that's a, a question we can answer right now. Because if, if because Alea's going to miss some games, you're going to have to rest him. Maybe he'll be injured. You've got the recovery time after the World Cup, things like that. I, granted, I don't even know if Ivory Coast is at the World Cup, to be honest. Off the top of my head right now, I haven't really been paying attention to this one. But, um, You'll have to see if someone like Man, Ariyemi, Mukoko, and so on can fill in in that role in a way that is dependable and productive. If that's the case, then you may not have to sign someone for the following season. Um, but Dortmund do have to look at a younger striker, let's say under the age of 25 in the next two years, uh, just because of Alea's, you know, age and the contract structure and having options and playing ideally in all competitions for a long period of time every season. It's something they'd have to do anyway. It's probably not going to happen this season, maybe in winter, depending on how things perform. But I think that's something that Kiel and Co. can kind of push until next summer at this point. Yeah, all right. Um, that's pretty much the answer I expected, to be honest. So, um, Lars, we have a nice listener question. <laughs> uh, and it's from Ed J-F-W-U-N-D and he or she asks what, if anything, can we take away from today's friendly against Luna SV? 
<laughs> and I know you've watched this game with uh, riveting effects. So Lars, uh, please tell me your great takeaways. No, I'll uh, gladly answer the question. Uh, nothing. Absolutely Good. nothing. I mean, uh, it was the debut of Alexander Meyer as their second goalkeeper, who obviously had nothing to do be against a sixth division opponent while still conceding a goal. Uh, not his fault, but, you know, kind of an introduction to Dortmund, I guess. Uh, other than that, uh, they basically played a conglomerate of a few first team players, a lot of under 23 guys and uh, even some under 19 guys. So these are players that we uh, most likely aren't going to see beyond maybe the first round of the cup because that's already at the end of July and only three weeks in for uh, the returning international players so that might be a bit too early for some of them so I, I suppose against uh, 1860 München there might still be uh, you know a bit of a weird mix but I mean nobody should grasp its straws and try to make any snap judgments after the first uh, preseason game I mean maybe maybe if uh, Luna is how uh, employed some goals to feed off their uh, pitch uh, and, and the playing surface being somewhat acceptable. Maybe you could say, I don't know, Prince Anning, the new left back or the left winger for the under-23 team is really good. But I mean, he looked good, but who's to say uh, how that would look in a more professional environment? So uh, it's nice to for, for for Dortmund to play uh, against uh, an amateur team from you know a neighboring I don't even know is that a town or uh, is that a part of a town I'm not too savvy on my uh, I think Lune is its own town geography right now yeah so it's nice for them to to show their faces at at you know an amateur ground and other than that that's that's not uh, you know try to uh, make any assumptions after these incredibly boring 90 minutes, let's face it. <laughs> well, you see, I have a takeaway, which is something I probably didn't need this game for. However, um, this preseason is going to be incredibly tricky. I mean, if you rattle through the signings, you know, Sebastian Alea, Adiemi, Schlotterbeck, Ashan Zule, Lodka, Meyer, and so on, then it was only Meyer, I think, who has uh, so far shown up to this preseason and everyone else will start with the performance diagnostics on, I guess, either Friday or Saturday and then on next Monday will be the first public training session with all the new guys, um, which I think will also include Gio Reyna, by the way. Um, at least that's uh, what Eden Tessic said after the game, which uh, yeah, also is interesting to know and hopefully Gio Reyna will be fit enough to actually then also train and uh, in, on that note I guess I can also say that Marco Royce has been back on a training field training individually coming home a bit sooner from his vacation uh, so I think has Gregor Kobel um, but yeah Matthias obviously there's a big buzz around Bristol Dortmund right now because of you know the clear transition they're going through and all the new signings I mean the announcement of Alea on Twitter was widely celebrated and uh, I uh, watched some Runach videos earlier today and uh, they are really reporting that there's a buzz around Eden Terzic that fans, especially local fans, really uh, 
you know, wants his autographs and, and whatnot, and there's a big crowd around him. So um, how do you think he, Terzic and Borussia Dortmund overall can manage the, you know, trickiness of the preseason that sort of bleeds into the new season, uh, having to formulate a whole new team and also trying to keep and moderate the euphoria alive because match day one in the Bundesliga is Leverkusen and right now I'm not that optimistic. <laughs> Well, if I remember correctly, uh, Dortmund had Leverkusen once start off season lost one nil and ended up winning the Bundesliga. They they lost two nil. I remember yeah. it vividly because I was sitting on a toilet okay. watching it because I had diarrhea <laughs> and I remember seeing both you, goals. You know, you could have just said, "I remember watching it." We all would have been perfectly <laughs> yeah, fine know, but, with that description. But I needed to share that. It's, um, uh, that's that's just uh, so me coping with <laughs> with <okay>. bad experiences. <laughs> Be that as it may, um, yeah, I mean, it was a shitty game. What can yeah, I say? Hey, but the season was fine. Um, the fine, he says, fine, yeah, uh, it was excellent, of course, it was. But that all being said, yeah, I mean, preseason for me, I personally, I've said this many times, I've been saying this now for 10 years. I <laughs> no pun intended, don't give a shit about uh, preseason. Uh, the main thing I care about is don't get hurt, um, don't embarrass yourself, and just get out there and play together. Um, really an indication of where things are going, I tend to look at it as once we hit October. Um, and obviously... The season is starting on, well, it's in a month, almost exactly, from, isn't it, right? The 6th of August? Is that Dortmund's first game against Leverkusen, if I remember reading that correctly? Um, somewhere around there, uh, which is a month from today when we're recording it. So there's not a lot of time. Uh, so you got to get, try things and test things. So you're probably going to get suboptimal performances in these test matches, which is just the way it is. Um, I don't even know when the first DFB Pokal round is being played right now. That's how well prepared I am right now. Um, <laughs> but it, it's going to come fast. And so you kind of have to make things click quickly. The good thing is, Dortmund aren't unique in this. Everybody in the Bundesliga, everybody in European football is dealing with this because of what's happening in the winter. And so everyone's kind of in the same boat. So I wouldn't over-evaluate it too much if the beginning is a little bumpy, um, especially with the high, not high expectations, it's high euphoria. I think the expectations are still, Dortmund aren't going to win the Bundesliga. I think that's the general expectation. Uh, so really nothing's changed. You just don't want to dampen that euphoria too quickly <laughs> uh, before the, the icky uh, weather starts hitting. So and then you've got that long break in the middle to kind of deal with the negativity or hopefully positivity uh, in the meantime. But it's just going to be yet another weird season, third in a row that we get to deal with. Yeah, uh, it's it's a bit of a shame. So, um, anywho, at Dortmund India uh, writes on YouTube, love the daily updates, had a question 
because Tessic said there will be more movements. Where do you think, other than left back, is the club looking for more signings, Lars? To me, a very interesting question because it feels like the left back position is like the only transfer rumors you get. But do you think that uh, Kiel needs to pad any other positions? Uh, I'm not even sure. I think they definitely need a left back, um, even if Schulz uh, were to be taken off the payroll. I think, uh, given that they have Tom Rote and also signed Prince Anning, kind of would make sense to keep one of them or uh, around for the first team and the other getting experience uh, either at the under-19s in terms of Rote or under-23s with Anning. Um, I'm not a huge fan of David Raums, especially not for uh, you know a 30 million outlay. I just think that's not really realistic in this summer after the spending they've already had. Um, but yeah, I, I, I realize that that's something that's been talked about so much that there's probably something to it um, and, and talked about by enough sources. Um, so there's seemingly strong interest, so I have to see how that goes. Um, but other than that, I don't really see any real opportunities for at, at least for, you know, proper first team players. So, you know, guys that you would expect to be in the 20 man matchday squad or whatever. Uh, I, I know people have talked about maybe signing another center half. Uh, you guys already talked about potentially a backup for Alaire. I kind of think, uh, they don't really need anything at this stage. But if there were an opportunity uh, to, you know, at the next 17-year-old whom they expect to explode in, in, in maybe a couple of years or whatever, then that's never a bad idea to, to add those guys. Um, I think would probably make more sense uh, if that someone were to be, uh, you know, a natural winger, just because that seems to me the, the spot in the team uh, that's you know, at least uh, strong from a, you know, numbers perspective. I mean, Adeyemi is not a pure winger. Uh, Azar might be gone. Um, so that basically leaves Bino Gittens as maybe their only natural winger, you know. So if if, if they could get another Bino Gittens, which is obviously quite difficult because he's an amazing talent, then that would make sense. But uh, I basically think uh, when Terzic was talking about transfers, he most mostly meaning uh, outgoing business. And if uh, if there's enough of that, maybe they have an opportunity to sign home. But well, uh, realistically, yeah. who do you, who would you like to, to sell on? Because yesterday Sport1, for example, wrote that their clubs interested, cryptically they wrote uh, in Nico Schulz, for example, but uh, I've not seen any, you know... Uh, any real rumor about that, to be honest, other than that the Lazio sporting director came out and immediately said, I don't want him on my wish list, etc. Yeah, I mean, uh, whom do I want them to sell? Uh, Akanji, because of contract situation and they kind of, uh, you know, uh, uh, put too many players in front of him. I mean, if he were to extend his contract, that would be a different story, but obviously that's not going well. I mean, obviously, in, in quotation mark, that's not going to happen. So Akanji should be sold if possible. Um, Schulz, I mean, they can also uh, nix his contract if, if that's the way to, uh, in quotation marks, again, get rid of him. Uh, 
not meaning to be rude, but I mean, we are at that point, basically. Um, Azar, I don't really see uh, an avenue for too much playing time for him. Uh, also been injured too much. I can definitely understand uh, the rationale behind uh, telling Guerrero if someone were to call, maybe you should think about that because, again, uh, too many injuries, uh, lack of interest or ability in defending, let's put it that way. Um, maybe Julian Brandt, uh, if, because he's someone whom they might get a decent fee for, who also might have some issues uh, getting relevant playing time. But I think uh, the the big one uh, right now is Akanji, just because they signed Schlotterbeck and Süle, so still having Hummels, kind of no point in keeping around too many uh, centre-halves with uh, starting 11 ambitions and potential. So uh, selling Akanji would be you know the, the obvious step, and that's also uh, what most people around the club seem to expect to happen. Uh, you know, with Schulz, there's this report from Sport1 you mentioned, but, you know, I don't get the sense necessarily that there's anything uh, lurking around the corner necessarily. So maybe when, if and when someone gets injured at another club, maybe someone thinks uh, of Schulz as an alternative, but that's definitely not something I would expect to happen in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, no, I'm also not holding my breath, if I'm honest. So, um, yeah, speaking of uh, centre-backs, I think... Uh, if we think about any, you know, stop gaps the squad still might have, I think maybe, you know, replacing a kanji, if you will, as a just or like I do maybe for that reason, or just having any other fourth center back, I think can help. I don't know how far along Namdi Collins is. The <laughs> 90 minutes against uh, Lunen were not exactly impressive, to be honest. So, um, yeah. I don't know. I also don't know how far along Kamara is and whether he can play, uh, you know, either as a yet another number six or as a center back, uh, as a stopgap player for the pros. That's really hard to gauge right now. And uh, those two positions, center back and, and number six, is where I would, you know, try to pad the squad if if possible. To be honest, obviously, ideally you would also not have another striker. But uh, you know, I I think that if You can make Stefan Tigges work. I also think that you can make Bradley Fink work in the same vein going forward. So uh, I would not be surprised should Aleo Mokoko get injured that you see him um, get some first team minutes every now and then. And yeah, otherwise there's not that much on my list, to be honest. Matthias, do you have any other shouts? Obviously, uh, uh, I can't end this without saying that I would also sell on Emre Can <laughs> immediately. But uh, yeah, Matthias, any... Any transfer moves that should be made or could be made uh, on your list? Uh, I mean, you know my opinions on left back, um, so I don't think we need to retread that. I did just see that uh, it's a done deal with Axel Witzel now being at Atletico. So, you know, I mean, he was gone anyway, but uh, that was just a, an interesting little side note. Other than that, yeah, I mean, a lot of investment has been made. I, at this point, 
no one's going to be brought in until a few players are shipped out. And I think that's just the holding pattern we're in. But there are also plenty of clubs out there that have needs that haven't filled them yet. And every one season is just around the corner. So I do expect the next few weeks to be very interesting all around. The good thing for Dortmund is the core of their business is done well before the season starts. And that is a huge relief, in my opinion. Yeah, no, definitely. And uh, I think on that we can end the show, right? Uh, Lars, do you have any other things you wanted to address that uh, are on your mind that you want to say in relation to Borussia Dortmund? Uh, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe that I absolutely don't understand how Axel Witzel fell, uh, uh, to, to, fell upwards to Atletico almost. Because, uh, I mean, I'm not necessarily a huge Atletico fan, but, you know, Cholismo of Diego Simeone and the relaxed nature, let's say, of uh, Chaloup Axel Witzel doesn't necessarily uh, strike me as the most logical combination. But I suppose having that kind of experience uh, might help them in some ways, which I'm not seeing right now. All right. Okay. So, yeah, Matthias, unless you have any final thoughts, I would sign out. No, I'm good. Okay, so, uh, yeah, as always, everyone out there, thank you for listening. Go to our YouTube page, The Yellow Wall, and subscribe so you get the B4B update every day. And other than that, uh, thank you guys for coming on and uh, helping me out <laughs> record yet another episode. And I think we'll be back in either one week or two weeks, depending on how interesting the friendlies are and if there's much to discuss. And uh, other than that, uh, yeah, stay safe and thank you for listening. Goodbye.